This podcast is strictly for mature listeners. So if you're under the legal drinking age, you are not permitted to listen under UK law. If you would prefer not to hear conversations about alcohol, you may want to listen to something else. But if that's not you, stay with us for Bar Fabric Presents. Hello and welcome to Bar Fabric Presents, a podcast brought to you by the Brown Foreman Advocacy Team. Each episode, you'll hear from our team of ambassadors as we share stories about the brands we're proud to represent and the people who've inspired us along the way. I'm Ali Didienko, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this episode of Bar Fabric Presents. In every episode, you'll hear from one of the team defending drinks that either have a bad rep or are overlooked in a segment called You're Wrong About. In previous episodes, members of our team have defended the Lynchburg Lemonade, the Tequila Sunrise, and in this episode, Matt C. is on trial for defending a classic cocktail that I won't reveal. We've also got the second part of How'd You Get That Job with Jonathan Almond, founder of Delightful Media and Delightful Drinks. In our last episode, he talked to Joseph about how he started his company, breaking down different areas of his business, including publishing and marketing. Later, Jonathan will give you some great advice on social media best practices, opportunities on different platforms, as well as tips on how to build your brand. And finally, Charlotte will be talking about the importance of tradition, breaking down the three conditions of tradition and why people use them to keep things the same. A lot of interesting bits to get through. But first, Matt, are you ready to reveal the classic cocktail you're backing? Hey, my name is Matthew Cosworth, Portfolio Ambassador for Scotland and Northern Ireland. And if you'll indulge me, I'd like to play a game. It's simple. I want you to guess my favorite cocktail, and I'll give you some clues. Ready? This is an incredibly popular libation, served in dive bars, five-star hotels, and everywhere in between. This cocktail will arrive in a coupe, or a martini glass perhaps, but always up. And rightly so, for this is a sprightly affair. Made with a clear spirit, this cocktail is light and bright, suitable morning to night. I adore cocktails laced with citrus, and this one is the very best. Not only is our spirit joined by the aromatic orange of triple sec, but bolstered too by the juicy bite of fresh lime. Do you think I'm talking about the margarita? You do, don't you? Well, we're almost done. There's just one more ingredient to name, and this is what gives our cocktail its fame. A little top pucker, a wee pink blush, a splash of cranberry is a must. That's right. My favorite cocktail is the Cosmopolitan. Now, you probably thought it was the margarita, and that would be apt, for the margarita is so often the bartender's choice. It's a cocktail that I agree is very delicious, but has the good fortune of being considered cool. If you are a bartender who raises a margarita in one hand, yet bashes the Cosmopolitan with the other, then this is for you. Look at the structure of both of these drinks. Spirit, liqueur, citrus. Both are children of the Daisy family. So why is my beloved Cosmo the black sheep? Perhaps it's an association with a certain TV show and the hordes of hen parties that would order them in mass. Or perhaps that the Cosmopolitan is a surprisingly hard cocktail to master. Trust me, I've tasted many a wayward recipe over the years. So the next time you're behind the bar and a Cosmo order comes your way, don't cock a snook and pour with abandon. Take your time to master this classic. You'll be rewarded 
with the most crisp, most delicious, most refreshing cocktail. Hey, it might even be your new favorite. I'd be remiss to leave you without some tips, so here's my three steps to a perfect cosmopolitan. One, Finlandia Grapefruit takes this drink to the next level. Say hello to all of the citrus. Two, easy on the crayon. And three, leave that sugar syrup in the rail. So no matter where you stand, whether it be behind the marble bars of the five stars or the dimly lit basement of the local dive, challenge your perceptions. Whether it be the Cosmopolitan or another lambasted libation, perfect those drinks you deem below you. Master every classic, no matter how vogue or complex. I'll be across the bar from you soon to check on your Cosmo Flex. Like a little black dress, but Cosmo never goes out of fashion. Not according to Matt C anyway. Drinks never look better than when they're in those videos. Thank you. Um, it is captured really well. And look, I mean, you can see because uh, you said five or six years. How many followers you got? Um, on Instagram. I don't know if that's a rude question. No. I, you, how many followers you got, publicly bro? Publicly available knowledge. <laughs> uh, how big is yours? Um, it's, uh, on Instagram, we have about 116,000. Um, and on Facebook, we have about 200,000. But I don't really post on Facebook anymore um, because they have ruined it to the point where organic reach is so low. Um, it isn't really worth existing on there at the moment. It is a weird app now. Um, but yeah, that's impressive. And um, I suppose, you know, it's, it's lots of experience over the years doing digital stuff, but it is ultimately self-taught and you were sort of growing with it. I suppose there's no choice but to grow with it, with different apps and different platforms and mediums. Um, and now it feels like um, there isn't that much of an opportunity, at least to my knowledge. I, do you know what? I'll just ask you the question. Do you think there are opportunities to pe for people to learn these days how to take advantage of social media and stuff because everyone knows that it's a resource to be used um doesn't matter what what kind of marketing you do it's a consideration but for um maybe students to learn is there a way i think uh, so the tricky thing the, the great thing and the tricky thing with these platforms and social media in general is that they're always evolving so they're always changing how you are successful on those platforms. So what are the levers that you need to pull or the things you need to hit for your video to get the most views and for it to build your following, for it to grow your channel? Um, so recently, Instagram kind of restructured how they treat videos on the platform. Reels came in as the TikTok competitor. Yeah. So there's always an opportunity to master these things early. Reels still actually at the moment are providing great reach um, because it's a feature that Instagram want people to use. Um, so they are possibly surfacing and they're never transparent about these things, but they're possibly surfacing reels more than they would another type of content because they want more people to see it. They want people to use it. Um, and if you're going to get more views on reels, then you're going to use reels more often than other parts of the platform. And also there's always new, new platforms themselves. So TikTok, for example, I've, I've tried TikTok a little bit. I've dabbled, um, but I haven't spent enough time on it to master it. Um, whereas some people have, some people have nailed that TikTok formula. It doesn't necessarily work that well with, with the kind of content that we make because 
from what I've seen, the things that work better on TikTok tend to be quite rough and ready, um, very authentic. So filmed by a person on their phone about that same person. Yeah. People want to watch other people, basically. They don't want to necessarily see brands on their media brands on their detached cocktail channels on there. Um, so someone who is, for example, an individual bartender making their own drinks and appearing in every video on their channel is probably going to be more successful than a delightful drinks channel would be on TikTok. So I think there's always opportunity for people to learn best practice on those platforms and also to take advantage of new developments on those platforms. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I suppose at the very least, um, you could teach, you could teach that, um, necessity for reactivity. Um, you need to I, I know this because uh, because I've had a couple of lessons from you on social media and stuff. Uh, it is all about testing and learning, isn't it? Absolutely. It's about experimentation. Try something. Does it work? It hasn't worked. Why hasn't it worked? Do you know why it hasn't worked? And a lot of the time with the algorithm, it's a mystery. You don't know why something hasn't worked. Maybe it would work on a different day. Maybe it would work with a different recipe. Maybe it would work if you'd posted it at a different time. So it's always worth trying things a few times, a few different ways. And then if you find something that does work, keep doing that same thing until that doesn't work anymore. And then try something else. There's no harm in, in trying things and having them fail and then trying something different. Even the idea is testing my patience. Like <laughs> I, I, the idea is so frustrating. I think what I enjoy about social media is my sort of, I've got a foot in it and I try, I try when it suits me. Um, but as soon as it comes to this sort of thing, like if I really wanted to find success in social media, I think that would really, uh, demand a kind of patience that I can't spare right now. I can't afford that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know this from you obviously, because you did a, um, brilliant seminar for a bunch of bartenders that we got together over, um, Google meets, I think it was, um, last year. Yeah, last year. I remember it was peak COVID. We were all at yeah. home and not allowed to leave, I think, at the time. Yeah, giving people anything they could have, basically. But yeah, I mean, it was a cool uh, cool thing because we sent out um, like a ring light and a, and a sort of light box for people to take pictures of drinks in. Um, and we had an amazing drinks photographer called Greg Buda teach them how to uh, make some make some cocktails and then make, make cocktails for taking photos of and then how to take photos. And then we had John um, teaching them about how to then apply those photos and content. I said it again. We're going to normalize content. Um, Hashtag content. I think, I think it is pretty much normalized. That's the thing. We can just say it. Um, how to then apply it to social media. And it was a really, really cool resource. I certainly learned a lot. Um, I remain grateful for that. Thank you very much. Um, but it was just, it was born of this idea, like if people wanted to get into this, drinks professionals, people who work in bars, the bartenders themselves, um, if they wanted to get into the world of drinks media, or even food media or whatever, um, I can't really see that many resources for them to use. Um, so if you did have any advice for someone who wanted to get into it, what would it be? I'd kind say, of a like, big question. I recognize that. <laughs> I'd say probably not to overthink it. I think the beauty of social media and and the immediacy of of the internet and everything else is is that everyone now can be a creator. Everyone has 
a mobile video studio in their pocket. Um, you know, phones are so powerful now. The cameras are so good. In fact, some of my best performing videos on Delightful Drinks were things that I just shot on my phone, probably because I was too busy to schedule a video properly. <laughs> just grab something quickly, um, put it on Instagram, and they've done like better than a lot of my more professionally produced things. I did a shoot recently at the Donovan Bar, um, and when Salvatore Calabrese was just shaking a cocktail, I just filmed it on my phone. Um, and because it had been quite a long shoot day, and I was I hadn't scheduled a video, and I was like, oh, I want to, I want to put something on because. Have to post every day or Instagram gets really angry with you. <laughs> um, and I just stuck it up. And then the next day I'd look and it was, I say the next day, obviously I check it every five minutes. It just kept going up and up and up. And now it's like, it's had over a hundred thousand views. It's just Sal Salvatore for 20 seconds, shaking a cocktail filmed badly on my phone <laughs> from about six feet away. And people really like that. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> so anyone, what I'm saying is anyone can be a creator. Anyone can start. Um, I'd say make sure you have some kind of angle in mind. What are you What are you doing it for? Why are you doing it? What's unique about what you're doing? Um, and that can just be your style of drink or it can be where you work or it can be your particular style of shooting something or taking pictures or whatever it might be. Just give people a reason to follow you um, and they will come. Yeah. Oh, that's good advice. I, uh, again, I struggle with the whole... Um, patience idea because uh i think it is some well everyone pretty much everyone has some form of social media um not everyone is there to upload and stuff but people who aren't serious about taking photos upload photos onto instagram you know everyone does it so i think it can be viewed as something quite casual so as soon as and i had this um very much so when i started doing a little bit more on social media it takes time like it, it takes up a lot of your day and I find myself needing to like block out maybe half an hour or an hour or, some, uh, or something after I've taken and edited the photo just to sort of arrange and compose the post and I'll sort of stand back from it and be like, nice, we'll send that out. <laughs> Sometimes it's good just to do it in a rush because it stops you overthinking things. So some of, the, some of my top posts are things that I've just done like the videos but also i've written the copy in a rush put something in that i thought was hilarious it wasn't <laughs> um and you know just just get it out there because i think it's very easy to overthink these things and i think people actually probably respond better to content that is a bit more real and authentic and isn't too polished certainly at the moment yeah oh, that's an interesting idea um, and I guess speaks to what you were saying about TikTok. People just want to see people doing stuff. And it's like spoken word just coming straight out of your head. That's a natural thing for people to respond to. You can tell when things are a little bit over polished. But I think that's good. You know, in, in your videos, the videos are very, uh, very polished. And you can tell there's some high production involved. But it's, uh, um, but the actual writing on there is very familiar and very light, very easy. Um, and I think does a really good job of remaining um authentic to the point that as you say drinks professionals might be might be into it but then also it would grab the eye of anyone who wasn't involved as well they are very pretty <laughs> thank you i've always wanted it to feel premium but not to feel like it was aloof or it wasn't achievable or we don't want you to watch this we're too high concept and sophisticated yeah um, I've always wanted it to look great. So you want to watch it because you like to see liquids sloshing around and hitting other liquids and getting stirred about and getting shaken in the sky. 
But um, as you say, with the copy, I want the copy to have a bit of personality, to be quite conversational, to be a little bit cheeky sometimes or a little bit funny. It doesn't take itself too seriously as a channel. Um, and that's really important to me. I always wanted it to be brand friendly because obviously that's where <laughs> that's where a lot of the money comes from. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and there are certain things that you have to 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 bear in mind for a channel to be appealing to brands. Yeah. Um, but I do want it to have personality and for people to feel like there's someone writing those things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you get to play around with a lot of, uh, a lot of like fun equipment and stuff, or is that a part that you enjoy? I only bring this up because I was looking back to the, uh, the, the cocktails that we made in the edition, um, which was a great day. Everyone can have a look at that. Uh, I think I make a, um, espresso martini with, uh, with, with a reserve and you can just, you know, I'm shaking the cocktail and you can basically see my whole face moving, uh, like a sort of jelly man as I shake it. So check that out. Um, but that day you had this really amazing piece of equipment, which, um, I'm not going to know the name of it, but it allowed you to sort of swoop around with the angle. So we had a jib that day is what you're thinking of. So the camera sits on a big arm. Um, and it means you can move up and down and around um, more than you can do with a tripod. Because if you use a tripod, obviously the camera sits in a fixed place and you can swivel it left and right and you can swivel it up and down, tilt it up and down. Um, but you cannot move it around mm. unless you physically pick up the tripod and move the tripod. But on a jib, it just gives you some extra angles and moves you can do. But at the same time, you have to hire the jib so there's money. You have to set the jib up so there's time. So it's not something that we bring to a regular editorial sheet where we're just trying to get through as many videos as possible. But where it's for a brand and we can invest a bit more, we can invest a bit more both time and money into what we're doing because we want to try some new things and get some cool shots. Then that's when we bring in the extra big equipment like that. Yeah. Exactly. Or sliders. We've used sliders before, which again, allow you to move around drinks. Um, so yeah, I do like, I like playing with stuff like that. I'm kind of a reluctant director, I would say. <laughs> By profession, I'm a producer, so that's where I, where I started. I was always more of a producer um, and kind of a social media manager than a director um, and then an executive producer. But I always had an eye on the creative and I managed directors, but never wanted to be a director um, until I started this company and realized that actually if I, did the, if I was the director, I wouldn't have to pay a director. So <laughs> keep more money in the company. Yeah. Um, so I'm a director out of necessity rather than choice. I definitely wouldn't say I was the best director. Um, but I, yeah, I, I love producing and I like directing. Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, they, uh, it is fun walking into a room where you guys are getting set up. I've, you know, had the pleasure a couple of times. Um, it feels like, certainly for... Um, bartenders who aren't to your point about there isn't that much excellent premium looking content that involves lots of different bartenders um normally when someone does an interview with you or wants to take a video of you making cocktails it will just be a sort of a phone or a camera static where it is um so walking into a room where the level of that production is really exciting um and having you know make drinks on drink making drinks on camera is quite a big part of my role anyway it's still that cut above when you walk into the uh, delightful drinks shoot and you're like yeah yeah this is the this is the big time but surprisingly cost effective yeah exactly and that's a relief to all of us <laughs> um so with uh with social media 
I suppose the the sort of prevailing danger of it, but there are plenty, I suppose. Um, one of them is just screen time, and I never. Well, I bet you've got that notification turned off, where it will show you a sort of weekly roundup or something, uh, how long your screen time was, and I never want to look at those things because it always makes me feel sad. Um, so I suppose a question that I've got here pertains to you really well, which is about work-life balance. Um, and all too often, this is a, a message about sort of drinking responsibly, re- responsibly. But there's an extra element of you, which is um, how do you avoid just looking at your phone all the time? Uh, I don't. <laughs> it's <the> short <laughs> answer. Um, yeah, I spend way too much time on my phone and I'm way too attached to stats and checking numbers terrible for your mental health running any kind of social media channel because you are obsessed or certainly i am obsessed with stats and if a post performs really badly i'll be really sad and if something's doing really well like that salvatore video i'll be really happy i'll be really excited about wow these views are going up um and i'll be glued to my phone um i have two very small children at home so they do keep me busy Mm -hmm. um outside of work um, but in terms of life work balance, I think because I love what I do and I love, I love drinks and making videos about drinks and watching things about drinks and meeting people in drinks. I think if you can make any part of your job, something that you love to do, then it feels less like work. Obviously there are parts of my job that I like less. I don't love making budgets or <laughs> emailing people and they're not replying to me. What do you mean? It's um, the best. But parts of it I do love. And it's about how do you find elements in your job? that you are excited about and that make you excited and I guess align your work with your passions as much as possible. You still have to pay the bills and, and do things that might be more boring. Um, but where you can find enjoyment in work, then that's always been quite a big guiding principle for me. Fun in general. I think I love to have fun. And then finally, we have to ask, what is your go-to cocktail? Good Question. Obviously, it would be something with Woodford Reserve. Obviously. Um, usually. <laughs> uh, I always say my... Such a pro. <laughs> my, one of my... one of my. I don't really have a go-to. Something that I... Let me start again. I don't say... Uh, I don't really have a go-to. I would always say probably my favourite was the Negroni. Um, but I wouldn't usually order a Negroni in a bar because it's something you can make at home quite easily. Um, I resent paying 15 quid for a Negroni. Sure. Um, unless there's nothing else on the menu or you're somewhere like um, Franco Manca, you get a Negroni for six quid. Um, but I always, if I'm in a bar, I'd always look at kind of the signatures and see what might be more interesting that I haven't tried before or take a recommendation from the bartender and, and you know, try something a bit different and exciting. Well, next time we will go out and we'll get some Negronis or some Boulevardiers with Woodford. Since that's your favorite. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, look, dude, thank you so much for chatting. I've had a really, really nice time. I hope this has been a cathartic experience to you of sorts. It was lovely. It was delightful, should I say. Hey, delightful. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, man. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. If you don't already follow Delightful Drinks on Instagram, you definitely should. Both parts of How'd You Get That Job with Jonathan Almond, founder of Delightful Media and Delightful Drinks, are now available. If you want some best practices and do's and don'ts on building your personal brand, you should definitely have a listen. Hello, I'm Charlotte Coyle, and this is The Importance of Tradition.
Tradition, I think, is incredibly interesting. It can often be seen as a bad thing, and sometimes it's used as a reason that things should just stay the same, simply because they've always been that way. So I'm a psychologist at heart, and when writing this segment, I did a little research. I found along the way that a tradition has three conditions to meet. Firstly, it must link together three generations. Second, it must not just be something old, but it has to be something that carries a certain amount of prestige. Thirdly, and finally, a tradition must convey a sense of continuity between the past and the present. Realistically, there are so many things in our lives that we do just because our parents or our loved ones taught us to do so. And that is just the way things are. The first place my mind goes when I think about tradition is Christmas. My family's two Christmas traditions involve having snowballs, advocate and lemonade, while we somewhat controversially open a present before we go to sleep on Christmas Eve. I'm not sure how far this goes back in our family, but this Christmas I did the same with my own family, 170 miles from Liverpool. The only thing that surprised me about this familiar tradition was actually how long it takes to get through a bottle of Advocat. Another thing passed down to me from my granddad and my uncle was a huge love of Jack Daniels. At family parties, there is no doubt there'll be a fresh bottle waiting for one of us to open and enjoy. So it came as a pleasant surprise for them when, a couple of years ago, I started to work for Brown Foreman, who have kept their family traditions alive for 150 years, and Jack's traditions alive too. It was somewhat ironic when I actually left the Jack Daniels side of the business to become the brand ambassador for our incredible single malts portfolio. When we talk about tradition, we talk about passing things by word of mouth or by practice. I can't think of anything that describes that more than the art of distilling whiskey. One of my favourite stories about our Speyside distillery, Ben Rear, was told to me by our global brand ambassador, who coincidentally used to work on the stills there. He told me that because everything from milling to distillation happens under one roof, you get used to the noises from every piece of machinery and it aids you in working out timings and when you're going to cut your distillate. He described it like an orchestra. A whiskey making orchestra is definitely something that I can get on board with. Of course, you would only realise these things after committing some serious time to the stills and passing that skill on to the next person means you're not just passing on information, but you're passing your craft down to the next generation of distillers. This craft helps sustain entire companies, and it's the definition of learning on the job. If you know me at all, or you've ever joined a training session with me, you will have some indication of how much I care about casks and barrels. I find the whole process of maturation completely fascinating. Trees are grown for decades to sustain our industry. They're aligned perfectly and skillfully with each other, and they're held together by just metal rings, and they're completely watertight. At Benriak, these trees and these casks come to us from all over the globe, with direct lines to each cooper and creator, and they often have distinct wishes and traditions that their casks follow. Recently, I was told that one specific supplier will only follow a certain route through Europe, lest their casks be sat still, slowly drying out at a check stop. This person evidently knows his casks like the back of his hand, and the whiskey tastes good, so we make sure that we respect that tradition. Keeping methods like this alive are partly how we achieve consistency from product to product, batch to batch, 
and dram to dram. I think the meaning of tradition gets skewed quite regularly. People use tradition to justify unfair stances, rude comments, inappropriate behaviour. I think that our generation should realign with what tradition means. Keeping tradition alive is about respecting the past, but also respecting the present and the future. Don't get me wrong, not all traditions should be kept alive, especially ones that hurt and harm other people. Good tradition is about wanting the best for our things and for our people, whether that be teaching them to make whiskey, making them a drink at Christmas, or creating a watertight cask. It's so easy to get caught up in tearing everything down, and we should do that when necessary. Our generation should really be embracing the true meaning of tradition. We deserve the best concepts, the best ideas, and the best whiskey. So let's go ahead and make it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bar Fabric Presents. If you've enjoyed the show, please share and leave us a review. If you've missed episode one and two, check them out now. We have a segment called Four More Bars, which talks about the importance of music, setting the right atmosphere in bars and venues. There's an accompanying playlist every episode, so you can hear all of the tracks Joseph talks about with his guest. It's available on Spotify, so check it out now. You can find more information on our guests in the show notes. And finally, a huge thank you to the team. I'm Ali Didienko. This podcast was recorded at Capsule 24 Studios in London and produced by Silver Music Entertainment.